Hey folks, welcome into a fresh edition of A Nickel's Worth. I'm your host, Keaton Nichols, at Keaton D. Nichols. Everywhere, everywhere that is Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, right? Like, I think that's the only three I'm actually at Keaton D. Nichols. But as it says at the bottom of the screen, if you're watching us uh, on Facebook or YouTube, potentially, or Twitter or all that other good stuff, you can subscribe to the show, the podcast, A Nichols Worth, on Spotify, Anchor, and now YouTube, as well. So before we get started tonight, this is the start of season three. Before we get into it, let me say this uh, tonight. This is the start of season three of A Nickel's Worth. I am happy to have reached season three. Um, and this is going to be a big season here um, on A Nickel's Worth. I'm looking forward to it. So from the first two seasons, um, we did a lot of good things. And I'm trying to take a lot of those good things and combine them and 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 make it into like a super podcast for season three. So some of the things that I'm going to add into it or some of the things that are returning, I'll go over that first and then we can get into the news of the day. Um, first of all, three times a week, shows are back. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, folks. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8 p.m., you no longer have to ask yourself, which day is the nickel's worth again? Is it Mondays? Is it Wednesdays? Is it Tuesdays this week? Well, don't worry about it. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Is the regular schedule again. I was glad I was able to clear up some space and to be able to do this again because I genuinely enjoy talking news, politics, issues, all that other good stuff, uh, pop culture with you all as well. Um, so I'm glad to be uh, introducing that back to the program again three times a week. Um, also, what else do we got going on? Um, more interviews. Okay, so last season um, we experimented a little bit with uh, with doing some interviews with some folks. I thought they went fantastic in the few that I was able to get uh, on and, and get scheduled and a ton more people um, that kind of flooded in after that and said, hey, look, I want to be interviewed, too. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to bring back interviews. So we're not going to have an interview every single show, not three times a week, but um, we'll definitely be able to have a lot more interviews with people from newsmakers, you know, business owners, people that are, uh, you know, the, the, the people that are doing an interesting project all across the board. I'm going to be talking to all different types of people here on the show. Um, so if you're one of those people or you know one of those people, make sure you hit them up and let me know. Um, uh, after 10. Okay, so this is what I'm excited about. A we're starting a conversation series here on A Nickel's Worth. Um, it's going to be called After 10. And in short, um, what it is is like I used to have, of course, a, pr a full production team um, in Philadelphia when we were on the radio. My two producers and I cooked up this idea called After 10, which is basically just conversations about real stuff from the heart about what's going on in life not always necessarily news and politically tilted and things like that but sometimes we as human beings just have issues and things that we need to talk about and the things that we need to discuss um as well because maybe we're a little confused about it so we used to do that after our show went off back in philly at 10 p.m it was just the three of us talking so we want to take that concept and expand it out to everyone and, and kind of invite different folks into that conversation space Anybody, you don't have to be an expert on anything. We just, we just want to talk about being human. It's the only qualification um, for our after ten series. So I'm looking forward to that. We're going to be doing that several times um, throughout the month as well. So all that uh, and more coming up. Uh, also, my gaming channels and my my hobby channels. They're going to be added to our YouTube page. 
I highly suggest you subscribe on YouTube because it's the easiest way to keep track of all of this stuff. All the content will be there on the YouTube. Nice and neat and organized into categories that you all can keep up with. So um, we'll be having some, as you guys, some of you all may know, I got into card collecting and hobby collecting last year. I have a ton of baseball cards, football cards, basketball cards, stuff like that. So as I open new stuff, I'll be opening it on that channel. It's called Dizzle Breaks Packs. And of course, my gaming channel um, as well. Get my gaming community together. We have great conversations um, on there as well. Not all the time, but we oftentimes have great conversations while we play games like MLB The Show, NBA 2K, No Man's Sky, Call of Duty Warzone, stuff like that. So if th some of those names are familiar to you and you want to check us out, you want to join in uh, some of these games, join up with us or just uh, join in the conversation. That's something that's going to be available, too, on our Twitch page, on the YouTube page as well. So um, all that new content I'm excited about. I'm excited to be able to bring that for uh, Season 3. So make sure you keep it, keep it locked all throughout the summer, all throughout the summer. Um, all right, so let's get on to some, some topics here. Uh, that's why you guys are here, right, to talk about the news, politics, pop culture, and sports news of the day. I don't have any sports today. Um, but the last show that I did, it was on December the 30th. I did it with a good friend of mine by the name of Gregory Neesmith, and unfortunately he has passed since then. This season I am dedicating to Gregory Neesmith, um, my former broadcasting partner, um, of course, way back in the way back. And, and, but when we did that show back in December the 30th, there was a lot, there were a lot of things that were different about the world and the realities, um, that we see now, like there are. It, the, the election was over, but January 6th hadn't happened yet. And I, I'll just tell you from the, from where I was, January 6th kind of messed me up, right? Like I saw January 6th and that was the insurrection, the assault on the Capitol that we saw, um, you know, a month or two ago. Um, it was kind of, it was kind of shocking for me to see in that moment. It really was, but it, 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 January 6th was something a little bit different than than the previous four years that preceded it but make no mistake there was a lot in the last in the previous four years that led up to that moment in time and so january 6th i think is important and we have to kind of stop on this before we get fully to president biden um, uh, um just yet okay january 6th was the last hoorah as i like to look at it when um seemingly people who uh vehemently supported president trump um, and that movement uh, gathered for a rally earlier in the day in which President Trump said in so many words, we got to go down to the Capitol and remind these people, so to speak, um, who we are. Um, and that's exactly what they did. They That group of people, along with some others that were there in Washington um, at the moment, um, stormed the Capitol. Um, you know the rest. There's going to be documentaries and and content related to this for years and years to come one of the lowest points in american history many people identify this as but um when that happened when that happened i think there was there was a lot of uh, uh there were a lot of signs that we saw building up to that moment that we blatantly ignored and i thought that that was kind of the problematic part about what we saw january 6th because when you take a step back you can't really be all that surprised that these people right these people that have been espousing this sort of language and executing this sort of rhetoric in smaller forms for the past 4 years it's really no surprise when you think about it what they did what becomes disappointing is that that we became okay with an environment 
that allowed the breeding of that to continue to happen and 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 the enlargement of that that crowd to 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 continue to happen january 6th itself was not a surprise but the the moments the months and the years leading up to january 6th a bit surprising honestly um it kind of reminded me of like when when you see you know somebody who is not of the best mental health maybe in the street and maybe they have you know maybe they're they're like naked or something or maybe they're they're running in the middle of the street or they're yelling or you know there's there's some sort of you know sort of social perversion that they're kind of uh, engaging in right like we look at that person and it's not really for me at least when I see that person it's not the person that is 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 sort of scary there like we shouldn't be scared of these people that's a whole podcast for another situation but it's not the person that's scary there to me it's the idea that that person doesn't respect and acknowledge the same sort of uh, uh normalcies about society that everyone else does that's what makes that person kind of scary because they're like well if this person is willing to ignore these other sort of social perversions or provisions rather that we've established what else are they willing to do right like if this quote-unquote crazy person is walking down the street without any clothes on and yelling obscenities what are they really capable of? If they're willing to ignore these things, what other sort of societal norms are they willing to ignore? Are they going to hurt me? Are they going to harm me? We think that of these people, right? But we didn't say anything about the, um, and I don't want to you know, paint a broad brush and say Trump supporters, but um, you know, the Capitol riot people who were housed within this Trump support, right? These people had been showing this kind of behavior for months and years prior to this. Anyone remember uh, when when they they started wilding out on the what was that? Michigan, I think, was the first capital steps that you had these, you know, these armed militiamen, for lack of a better term, showing up, um, you know, on on, you know, Michigan State House grounds in demanding that the Democratic governor open up the state in the middle of a pandemic, by the way. You actually had that happen. And we looked at that and was like, yo, this is crazy. Can you imagine if they would have, like, I remember us having that conversation back in the summertime. Can you imagine if these crazy people with guns on on the Michigan State House steps actually, you know, used force? If, can you imagine if they actually did something with those weapons? Well, January 6th was nothing but a continuation of that conversation. It was it was just sad to me. It was sad to me because it was the people who made this decision. You can say what you want about Trump. We've we've known and we've analyzed and overanalyzed and reanalyzed the, the person, the individual that is Donald Trump. And of course, we'll let history do the rest from here now that he's no longer president. But there were two things that were noteworthy about that. One is that more than 70, I think it was 72 million, but certainly north of 70 million people in this most recent election cast a vote for Donald Trump. He didn't get the majority of the votes, but still 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. And I would have to assume after seeing four years of him as president, these people were quite aware of what they were doing, who they were voting for, and what that exactly meant. And sure, it was only a handful of people that actually, in, you know, stormed the Capitol. But what all of that sort of reminded me is that the people still run this country, right? And the, the disaster that we saw for the last four years, as I've said before in this program, was not a mistake. It was very intentional. 
These are people that wanted Donald Trump as president. And in wanting Donald Trump as president, everything that sort of trickles down and falls down after that, um, you have to assume that the people that voted for it, especially this time around, they wanted that. This is no accident. More people voted for Trump this time than last time. So the ugliness that we saw on January 6th was not this small group that was, you know, at the last second sort of thwarted away by the remaining Capitol, uh, 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 Capitol Hill forces. This was a small microcosm for what the country has been pushing for for the last four years, what people like me uh, have been pushing against in the last four years. It's not about Democrat or Republican after a while. When someone's storming in your house, the political affiliation of the stormer doesn't really matter at that point. And at that point, Democrats and Republicans alike, representatives alike, were both endangered by what was going on outside. They were yelling, hang Mike Pence, a Republican. So that moment in that day, I think, said a lot about the transition from what we're going to do or what we have here. The America from 2016 to 2020, which was this America that was, you know, oftentimes shaped in this weird sort of way. And we like to say history is going to look back on this moment so negatively. Well, the people put us there. And the people tried to do it again. We cannot forget that. We are not cured of our ails because Donald Trump lost the election. But what I think it opens us up, what I think what it does is it opens us up to a new reality. A new reality that says the real condition of our country is not, you know, it, it, it cannot be read through, specifically read through the lens of whoever is president. I cannot look up and say Barack Obama is president. And so America has seemingly solved the issue of racism because a lot of us did that. A lot of you people out there did that. And I started to even think that, right? Like maybe we did, you know, get over a hump. We even reelected him, right? Maybe we did cross a path here or, or cross a line here. And maybe we're over some things and some, some haunting and horrifying parts of our past. But in, in the same way that Barack Obama's image didn't represent a racial renaissance for America, Donald Trump's image doesn't necessarily represent uh, 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 this America, you know, heading into hell in a handbasket sort of mentality either. But both of those presidencies were important. One presidency showed that the, a group of minorities and all things considered can elect a man that never should have been elected. Right. According to the Constitution. The other one was a group of people who were oftentimes counted out of the political process, banding together and identifying and unifying under a different flag in so many words and electing the man that seemed to trumpet that cause, no pun intended. Both were incredible in their own right and both said, I think, a lot about the American electorate. But here we are in the next phase with President Joe Biden. And I continually ask myself, what is Joe Biden's legacy in all of this going to be? He has come after the sort of peak and valley seemingly of these of the last two presidents. So how do we judge him? How will we judge him? Well, we have the, his entire presidency to do that. We'll be looking very closely at the first hundred days and the first six months, different benchmarks and things like that. Right. 
But what we can't do is we can't juxtapose what's happening now against what just happened and say, well, Biden's not, you know, losing his mind at a cabinet meeting. So I guess things are going great, right? We can't have standards that are so low that we then lose the momentum from whatever we can build on this moving forward. It's not just about the president, of course, but this is just specifically what we're talking about tonight on tonight's show. So I think that's important for us um, to, in analyzing what kind of job President Joe Biden is going to do. You're going to hear a lot of stuff on the news right now. If, if anybody that listens to any news reports, updates, you get stuff, push notifications from your phone. You're going to say, Joe Biden did this and Joe Biden didn't do this. And the Democrats are promising this but didn't deliver on this. A lot of sort of nitpicking and needling of, of the Democrats that's going to be going on here. Well, they're in power. They have control over the House, the Senate, the presidency. They have everything, right? So it's time for the for the Democrats, as, as the spotlight is on them, to not just exist as the party after Trump, but to really establish something significant in this moment. I don't think they will, but it's our job as people, right? Like, we're not going to rely upon the leaders to determine what America is. We saw that in this most recent election. It's the people who decide what this country, what direction this country is going in. Not to sound like super corny because I didn't want to, like, overemphasize this point. But if you look at what happened in Georgia as well, Georgia's been a red state since as long as I can remember, right? Since since the mid-90s. So, you know, the idea that, of course, uh, a huge urban population and a huge black population that is in uh, not just black population, but others as well that are in Georgia um, could flip two Senate seats in the same cycle. Right. From Republican to Democrat is no small feat, but it's determined by the people. It didn't matter how much jury rigging was going on as a part of the process. The people ended up coming out on top. That's kind of the good thing about a democracy. If the people get their lives together, if the people get their minds together, it actually kind of works out okay. The problem in American history and the lack of progress that we've seen and the sort of backwards, backwardness, if that is such a word, that we saw over the last four years was just the people. It was the people expressing what they wanted. And it looked ugly and it looked bad, but it was a reflection of who we are as a country. And we don't always look good as a country. Sometimes we just look bad. Period. You know, let me know what you think in the comment sections as well. Um, if you're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I think you can comment on YouTube. My YouTube comments will show up here as well. Um, I see a couple of folks tuning in on the Facebook and, of course, um, on the Instagram as well. Excuse me, just a reminder for the folks who joined us a little bit late. You can subscribe on YouTube and Spotify and um, I guess Facebook, too. You like the page and all that other stuff to keep up with updates about what's going on dave mcgowan commented in and said deplorables yeah um deplorables i always go back to that hillary comment i think it's it was really a revolutionary comment at the time when she said that half of trump supporters you can put into a basket of deplorables it might not have been the nicest thing to say at the time it might not have been the most tactful thing to say at the time during the course of an election but she was absolutely right she was absolutely right um and that's just a part of who we are. It's the fiber of who we are as a country. You know, if you call them deplorables, call them Trump supporters, you know, whatever you want, it's a part of the fiber of who we are. I think that is the, the reality that we have to face up with. We can't just say, oh, those people are deplorables. They're throwaways. They're a waste. They certainly don't align with our political views. And that sometimes they ignore realities that are right there in front of them. And that that becomes problematic as we as we mentioned a little bit earlier but 
but that is who we are as a country. We can't make the mistake of thinking that we are better than what we are. Because whenever that doesn't that whenever that doesn't come home to roost, we it looks really bad. People people get really embarrassed and are really confused. So just kind of keep that in mind. All right, make sure you leave your comments in. I'll get on with my next subject. YouTube in the house, Jovan says. So we are streaming on uh, YouTube. Make sure you go over and check it out. Um, second thing I wanted to talk about tonight: um, the stimulus, the stimulus package. I've been seeing a lot of stimulus content. Um, this past weekend, um, the Senate basically gave the thumbs up without explaining and getting too deep into the weeds, a $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. Um, this piece of legislation includes direct payments of up to $1,400 to most Americans. That sounds good. A $300 weekly boost to jobless benefits. So whatever people are getting in unemployment rates right now would be boosted, will be rather boosted by another $300 a week. And that will last, those benefits rather will last into September. And there's also additional child credits um, and funding for COVID-19 distribution, rental assistance, um, struggling schools, K through 12 schools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot packed into this bill, but it was passed and it was passed with seemingly um, not as much time due to the fact that the Democrats do control all three houses of uh, all three sections, rather of government, the presidency, the Senate and uh, and the House of Representatives. So that was kind of quick. There should be a lot of this kind of thing, by the way, that happens in the next couple of years. It won't. But there should be a lot of this stuff that happens being that Democrats control all three houses. Will they what will they use that power for is a question that will float for another show. But anyway, um, this legislation, as I mentioned, for, gives up to fourteen hundred dollars to most Americans, a direct payment of fourteen hundred dollars. And what I have heard in terms of the criticism for this is that, look, man, this is something that we should have been getting last year with the rest of the developed nations and countries that are seemingly getting these jobless benefits out pretty easy. Right. Like. The, the jobless thing is is hitting everyone pretty hard. That's the one thing about Corona. It, it, it kind of hits everybody equally as hard because everyone is sort of, you know, operating in a global economy. If there's no jobs over here, then there's maybe no jobs over there um, as well. It's kind of important for everybody. While other countries seem to uh, hook their citizens up during this period of time, it definitely wasn't like that here in the United States. And it's one thing that I think, you know, helped to worsen the problem here in the United States of the virus spreading is the idea that people knew that there wasn't financial aid coming um, anytime soon. And if you don't have financial aid coming pandemic or not, you've got to do some things right in order to kind of adjust to the next step. And a lot of Americans did that, including having to go to work um, at quote unquote essential jobs, um, you know, working long shifts and long hours. Um, unsafe environments and bringing that unsafeness, if you will, um, to other parts of their family, other parts of their neighborhood and things like that. That was absolutely a part of the spread of COVID-19 here in the United States. Drove me crazy. Because Republican Congress or not or Republican president or Democrat president, whoever, right? Like Congress should have been able to get this done. And unfortunately, it's taking until now. So what the criticism that I hear it's somewhat founded, right? Like, yeah, these payments should have been more consistent. There should have been more to this point. But it's here. But it's here. It, this, this is the best we've got. 
And as much as it might suck in comparison to other countries, I think that this does represent at least a step in the right direction for as, when it comes to this virus. There were so many things that were tremendously handled before this that it was that was literally costing people lives. Um, so this is a step in the right direction, and I do think that we should we should embrace this for now while still keeping a watchful and critical eye on what happens next. Okay, so this also reminded me of a story that we did last year, a couple of months ago. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but there was a sandwich shop owner in Georgia. And I think CNN had interviewed him or something along those lines. And his main complaint was like, you know, look, man, since the government started handing out these enhanced benefits, right, these enhanced unemployment benefits, which was in some cases up to $600 per week in addition to um, unemployment benefits that these folks were already receiving, um, essentially what his argument was is that people could sit at home and do nothing and collect unemployment and get about and make about $15 an hour per working day. $15 an hour per working day. Now, he was paying employees at his sandwich shop about $12 an hour, um, right, for, for a working day, for an eight-hour shift or whatever else like that, or, or six-hour shift. $12 an hour. And now, this sandwich shop owner was obviously upset because he couldn't get people to come work for him anymore. People would rather be on unemployment, he says, and collect $15 an hour rather than work for $12 an hour. And I found that interview to be so interesting because I'm like, Duh. Like who, <laughs> like who, who, wait a minute, who is choosing to work at a sandwich shop? This is not like Wells Fargo, right? Like a, an intern or something. You're, we're talking, who chooses to work at a sandwich, sandwich shop for $12 an hour when I can sit at home and do uh, anything else I want for $15 an hour? Like who's that stupid, right? <laughs> That's been the reality that we've been facing over the last couple of years, that a small enhancement um, to the unemployment benefits can actually rival the salary of many workers in this country. That is a problem. And it was a problem well before the pandemic, by the way. The pandemic has brought about this, you know, extra stimulated payment and all this other stuff. And I wish that the pandemic never existed so that we didn't have to do that. But now that it's here, it has drawn into it. it has sort of drawn up this interesting sort of conversation here now that unemployment benefits are back it's an additional 300 uh, a week instead of 600 but still um somebody who is unemployed and unemployed specifically because of the pandemic can earn as much as three thousand dollars a month in unemployment benefits every month in unemployment benefits can now i'm saying can this is as an individual these you know this is a possibility not everyone's going to be able to make three thousand dollars uh, not rather make and not everyone's going to be able to get three thousand dollars a month um, from pandemic uh, uh, unemployment assistance. But that's certainly within the realm of possibility here. Right. Three thousand dollars a month. If you lost your job because of of covid. That's thirty six thousand dollars a year by my count. Now, there's many people who are going to work in some form of full time, whether or not it's actual full time employees or people who just work at or near 40 hours a week who are making that $36,000 or less. Okay, there's a lot of workers. There's some overlap there. It's not every single worker, but there's some overlap there of people that are within that category. This should really get us thinking here that if a stimulus package offered to pandemic 
uh, uh, pandemic-stricken unemployed workers is rivaling what we actually pay people to work real jobs at at fast food and at gas stations and at other places. Um, In addition to that, if that's rivaling, then there's something wrong here. This was this was the big break that I anticipated happening before COVID actually hit back in December before the pandemic. Like I was just like, look, people are going to reach a breaking point, right? Where they're going to be like, this isn't worth it for me anymore. I'm not going to go to work because I'm actually wasting more time going to work for whoever, right? Than I would either just sitting here or doing something else with my time. That's the breaking point where companies are finally going to have to pay workers a living wage certainly not going to be anything that the government's going to step in and do. We've seen that they've had the opportunity to do it, and they haven't. So i got to believe that you're just not interested. But instead, COVID hits, and now this situation becomes the realization. I don't think that it's too much to push um, for more here and say that we need more checks and that we need more consistency behind this. But the mentality behind what is what our government should do or how our government should support us, especially in moments like this, is an important sort of metric to pay attention to. Jovan says, how about the $2,000 conversation, right? Like $2,000 checks a month, I assume, is, is, is what you're referring to more specifically. I like that conversation. I love that conversation. I loved that conversation before the pandemic. And it's a conversation that we have within the context of how the United States works, right? Like other countries, we can have a different conversation about $2,000 checks a month. But here in the United States, what $2,000 checks a month means from the government Wow. I mean, the impact of that. There are some people actually that wouldn't want that. They don't want that. They would refuse. They say at least that they would refuse the two thousand dollars if operated. I don't know why there's this like sort of fantasy idea that in America, if you don't work for every dime and then work twice as hard, by the way, for every dime that you should have worked half as hard for, then you're some sort of slouch. I don't know, man. This this whole stimulus sort of conversation has made me think, I don't want to say about money differently, but it certainly made me think about what we ask for as American workers a lot more, especially when a lot of us as American workers got the axe. We got the skizzers as soon as crap hit the fan, so to speak, when the pandemic hit and businesses had to tighten, when they had to make decisions to keep themselves as a business alive. What happened? Who was the first to go? It was the employees, right? The people, the human beings that worked for these companies. The companies themselves don't have a very high priority to keep uh, people alive and, and, and happy. But we as humans are seemingly dedicating our entire lives in some instances to ensure that we prop up the company, that we ensure that we prop up the business. I'm not saying that that's always bad, but at least let's make sure that there's fair compensation for us giving our time and our energy and our space to this company. We have not been uh, given a fair exchange on that. And And the fairness of this has dropped again and again and again over the years. We keep getting shafted further and further every single year when it comes to our wages, when it comes to how much we are paid for our very very valuable time and energy. 
It's a conversation that we don't have enough in this country. It's something that Martin Luther King himself, the one that everyone loves to talk about that speech, right? And it was a great speech. But what about after the speech when Martin Luther King's talking about, hey, we're kind of getting screwed economically here. Not just the black and brown brothers, but some other people in this country need to, need to start uh, uh, thinking about how they're getting screwed economically too. That's an important part of King's legacy and an important sort of... Um, you know, I think it's very a very important sort of mark that we need to be paying attention to in the country today. If we do not have what we need financially, we will start our lives will start to erode in other areas that make me very uncomfortable personally. I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want us to burn ourselves out effectively because we've been put under an unfair thumb of, you know, financial oppression in a sense. Our financial future may be the most significant thing that we can hold on to or that we can try and shift and change to our liking moving into this new reality, this post-COVID reality. These are things that we need to pay attention to. So um, while I am for I am for the conversation, you can let me know what you all think in the comments about the two thousand dollar stimulus or fourteen hundred dollar stimulus. Should it be more? Should it be less? Or should this money be distributed a different way? Um, let me know. But in terms of what I think about this money, I think this money is overall good. We live in it. We live in a, a, an economic system that is not very fair, as I just laid out. And so when we get something back almost as a I don't want to say as a bonus, but when we get an opportunity to collect something extra from this central government that owes us <laughs> the way I look at it, take advantage of that. But also think about how when we are moving into this next phase of whatever we are, that you prepare yourself for not being. Uh, on the chopping block again, not being so valueless to these companies ever again. I'm just I'm just not for that. Not for that. Hopefully we can all find alternatives. Jovan comments and he says because some folks uh, because there are some folks that are not happy about the promise of two thousand dollars not being fulfilled. OK, that's a that's a fair analysis, right? Like there was this promise from the Democrats that the checks would be two thousand dollars. So two thousand dollar checks for everybody. You get a two thousand dollar checks. You get a two thousand dollar check. You get a two thousand dollar check couple of things about that, right? About the $2,000 promise. And people are upset that it's not $2,000. They should be. Um, po politicians lie all the time. There's so much peacocking that goes on during the course of an election. I think myself personally, I've learned to sort of tune all the promises out. And the reason why I do that is because what a person does when they're in office is what they do, right? Like if you say, you know... Nobody remembers what Abraham Lincoln promised. I mean, I'm sure there are some historians that do, but nobody remembers what Abraham Lincoln promised beforehand, right? Before he became president. Maybe he said, you know, everyone gets a cow on their farm if I'm elected president and I'll also free the slaves, right? I'm sure there were people after he freed the slaves that were like, yo, man, it's great about the slaves and all that. But what about my cow? Okay, I'm just making that up. I don't know that Abe Lincoln actually promised anyone a cow, but just as an example, right? Like nobody knows exactly or nobody remembers exactly what presidents and politicians promise during the course of the election. The only thing that they are remembered for is what actually happens.
Right. And so in other words, in, in other words, I think that Joe Biden is more so going to be remembered in this moment for getting Americans 1400, not him, of course, but under his administration, he's going to be more known for getting Americans $1,400 checks rather than being the president that didn't get Americans $2,000 checks. If that if if that sort of makes sense. But politicians lie, man. And and the sad thing about, I think, what the Democrats did in terms of their their campaigning this time around is I don't think they really needed to do all that. I really don't <laughs> like you, you. You were campaigning much harder against your opponent than you were promoting your own. You didn't have to fluff people with this idea that they should vote for Joe Biden because, you know, he's going to you know, you don't have to throw in this like he's going to knock out student loans and you're going to get $2,000 checks if they knew that they couldn't promise and deliver on it. I don't think that you needed to do that. Unfortunately they did. Um, and it was another opportunity for them, I think to keep it real with the American people. And you know, they're not going to be able to achieve some of these things that they talked about during the course um, of the election, but that's politics. You say stuff to win elections, but we've talked about that. I don't want to get down that rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, I think I do think it's good though that we're getting the fourteen hundred and we can we can move on from there. Uh Russ comments in, he says, I'm in here. <laughs> I'm in this pitch like a fetus. Gotta love Russ, man. Russ says companies are based around uh making profit. Uh this is fact and that's fair. Let me put it up on the screen so everybody can read it. Um what citizens have to start valuing their work ethic and their role in society. People have been silently accepting these wages as just what it is and many jobs will play with the arbitrary difference between full-time and part-time work uh, to to withhold pay and benefits. When Americans come together and stand against this, we will realize we move the wheel of commerce. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that might, that might sound like some real comrade type of stuff, but, you know, I think that there are a few causes here in this country that are 100% worth um, you know, fighting for in a sense, I'm not saying like, we got to like lay our lives down and we got to die in the streets and stuff like that. Um, but I think that there are a few causes that are worth fighting for. And this is one of those things, as you said, people silently accepting these wages is a big part of it, right? Like if somebody offers an unfair wage to someone and someone takes it, that's like a takes two to tango type of thing, you know? unfortunately that system is going to continue to work so long as people accept low paying or underserving or underpaying jobs. Um, it's kind of a catch 22 because a lot of the people that are accepting these jobs don't really have much of a choice otherwise. So there is a, there's a deeper conversation I think about, you know, I don't know. It, to me, it's simple. It's raised wages that cuts bottom lines. I know companies don't make as much in that particular case, but I think if we continue this, you know, the, locked into this, the, the way that we are right now, there's a, a lot of competition for a few well, good and well-paying jobs in the country. And that doesn't make people, that doesn't make a country smarter. The fact that people are fighting for these very few positions, it means that a larger portion of the country is going to fall into disrepair financially. It doesn't mean that people are willing to fight to get higher up the food chain. It just means that people are going to lower their standards as a way of staying in the game, period. Forget moving up in the game. They're just going to figure out what they have to do to survive. 
And they're going to continually lower their standards about what they should push for and what they should want. I'm telling you, folks, wages is top three most important issue of our time right now. Uh, Seth commenting in on the uh, Instagram. He says, shout out to Mr. Nichols repping the parkour. That's right. Go get your parkour gear, parkour therapy. Get yourself in shape and get yourself some fly gear as well. All I rep is parkour. By the way, if, if folks want me to rep their clothing brands here on the show, send me a DM. We can work something out um, uh, and all that good stuff. I know there's a lot of people out there that have some clothing brands. I can do what I can wearing them here on the show, most certainly. So uh, tell them to DM. Thanks, uh, Seth, for the shout out. I appreciate it. So, yeah, just a couple of things that we should think about. Um, I'm going to wrap the conversation right there. It looks like we got all of our comments in. But a couple of reminders before we get out of here. Um, subscribe. YouTube. YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. Um, just search A Nicholsworth. Very simple. Excuse me. Very simple. <laughs> Into YouTube A Nicholsworth. It's at the bottom of the screen. Wait, at the bottom of the screen. Um, <laughs> you can do that on Spotify, Facebook, and Anchor. So we'll be doing shows three times a week. That means I'll be back on Wednesday for a fresh edition of A Nickel's Worth at 8 p.m. Make sure you give this chat a share for bonus points on the page. And until next time, we will see you all later.